afternoon. Welcome to Mad Hat Economics. Today we're talking about lying and dishonesty. And what does behavioral economics have to say about that? As always, I'm here with Professor David Just. Hello. And Liz Bell is here with us today. Hello. And so it's an interesting thing. When I was in high school, what my teachers would have us do, and this is every class, it was uniform from freshman year to senior year before any graded assignment in class you wrote, and particularly quizzes and tests, I have neither given nor received unauthorized help on this work. And then you'd sign your name. So, and I'm not sure what the exact cheating ratios were at <laughs> Academy of the Holy Names, Florida, but it, yeah. it seems there's a lot more to that. Honor codes like that and honor statements are, are very, very common across the U.S. So, my own alma mater is is somewhat famous for their honor code. I went to, to BYU, and we make the news now and again for honor code. Not not always good, but usually. <laughs> There's, and it, it's famous for its honor code. There was a the first president of the university. There's this statement that is is sort of read to you as you join the university, and you you sign this honor code when you apply, right? And it's talking about honor. And it talks about it in, in rather stark terms. I'll, I'll read you this quote. It's, it's, uh, some people would find it disturbing. I actually sort of like it, though. <laughs> I've been asked what I mean by word of honor. I will tell you. Place me behind prison walls, walls of stone ever so high, ever so thick, reaching ever so far into the ground. There is a possibility that in some way or another, I might be able to escape. But stand me on the floor and draw a chalk line around me and have me give my word of honor never to cross it. Can I get out of that circle? No, never. I'd die first. <laughs> now, I, I think President Mazur here is talking about this, this, you know, intentional word of honor. I sign that honor code and I will never, never cross that line because of my own integrity. And I, I do think that's an important piece of this. But we're actually starting to see a lot of, of evidence that how strictly we take those honor codes depends a lot on how those honor codes are framed and when they're presented to us, yeah. right? That's sort of an interesting thing. So you talk about these tests, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you have to sign this honor statement before you take your test or before you hand in this assignment. We have to put it at the top of the paper and then write an X and sign it. So just right at the top. Right, right at the top. Now, is this an overnight assignment, or are you doing uh, this? It, it's on uh, in-class quizzes and tests. Okay, okay. And are you filling this out right before you do the test or right after? Right before. Because when you do that, how does that change how you take the test? How does that change how you view the test as you're taking it? Well, thinking back, this was a few years ago, but <laughs> I guess it, well... If I compare it to my college experiences where we didn't do that most of the time, and, I, and I'm the type of person that I would always be afraid of any of the consequences of cheating. I guess there's more of that. Like, it's just not worth it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, so in other words, you're not inclined to cheat anyway. <laughs> right. I'm not inclined to cheat anyway, but I, after doing that, uh, writing the, the code, I guess I would, I would say I felt kind of moral empowerment a little bit, like I am taking this test with the knowledge that I have and so help me there. And if not, <laughs> you know, better be ready because there's no other option, so. That's right. 
Uh, you, can, you could imagine, though, somebody who reads that and signs mm-hmm. it right beforehand that maybe had been waffling on whether they wanted to cheat, this signing that statement just might give them this, this cause where they have to now right. do what's right. Where you couldn't imagine anybody, if this statement was put at the end of a test, mm-hmm. you sign the end of this test and then you go, oh, man, I need to go back and erase some things now. Right. I, don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody would do that, right? So placing it up there in the front really does sort of change not only how you see things, uh, or I, I should say how you think about whether you should cheat or not, but also it changes a bit what you interpret as cheating in the first place. Right. Right? Uh, th- this was uh, some of the results you find from, uh, from Dan Ariely's work. Mm-hmm. He's done a little bit of work in insurance markets where you, where you can apply this. I believe these were insurance claim forms that traditionally you would filled out your claim and then at the bottom you have this statement that you have to sign and say, everything I've claimed is is true and it's accurate as far as I know. Right. Right? Well, he actually found if you take that statement and put it up at the front, people claim different amounts on average. <laughs> they claim less than they would otherwise, right? Which Which suggests what they're willing to sign their name to at the bottom is very different from what they're willing right. to sign their name to at the top, right? That's very unique. And that, that's interesting because I, I know you, you see that in insurance forms, but I've seen it on so many doctor's forms, like kind of everywhere, um, uh, tax, income returns, what else? I, so, so many things where anytime you're asked, you're claiming money, what was it? it you can file the... Um, Fast. Uh, that okay. is the one thing I think of. And <laughs> federal aid, yeah. Federal, federal, any kind of federal aid, FAFSA, yeah, they have you enter your parents' income or, you know, whoever you're dependent on, and you try your best not to get it wrong, and then they're like, oh, well, if this is if this is incorrect, you know, you verify that th- there's nothing wrong. I'm like, well, gosh, I hope, but I'm just going to leave it. Like, it, is this what I put last time? I, I don't know. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, so they're very deliberate about doing that. Yeah. Actually, my understanding is they've, the government in part of their program of implementing behavioral economics in streamlining policies mm-hmm. has really experimented quite a bit with where they put those types of honor statements, moving them up right. uh, for exactly this, this effect that, uh, that Ariely finds, right? So if moving them helps, does actually copying it out with your own handwriting help as well, instead of just signing it? I, I don't know if that work has been done. Have you seen? I feel like, I don't remember exactly what it said, but before I took the GRE, you had to copy out a whole statement in cursive and then sign your name to it. And I feel like it was an honor code, but I I really don't remember what it actually was. <laughs> you know, I don't Did you do that? I, I took the GRE, but I don't remember having to having to write anything by hand. It was all on computer. Maybe on computer. I remember because everyone around me was complaining that they didn't know cursive. <laughs> and it, it had to be in cursive, they said. That's pretty funny. That's so strange. So I, I don't understand yeah. the reason for wanting it in cursive, but I can understand the reason for wanting you to write it. <laughs> right. right? You, you're required to write it, and now you have to process it at a different level than simply... Oh, I read the first line. Yeah, okay, there's probably something I agree with. It's It's kind of automatically signing it rather than actually comprehending. Yeah. I have, like, a comparison study for that because in high high school, they had us, um, for big exams, they would just type it out and then have a sign. For small quizzes, we would write it at the top of our paper. And 
I remember as like maybe a freshman, kind of, you know, passing through that. That was just another thing to fill out your name, class, sign this, go. And it doesn't register as well, I guess, as if you were you were writing it out. But they had us write it out so frequently, I think that kind of made it. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't as impactful as it was the first few times. Um, but it, so in, in a lot of ways, though, this sort of honor statement you make mm-hmm. at the beginning can be something of a, of a non-binding commitment you're making, right? right? And, and it serves something like a commitment device. And there have been mm-hmm. dozens of studies where we've seen, you know, first off, that people like to have commitment devices. Yeah. But second off, that a commitment device, even one that doesn't bind, seems to have an impact, right? So simply signing the statement, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, makes you much more likely to do X, Y, and Z, even if it's not directly in your interest later on. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's it's interesting in application. It, you don't see that across all universities. Um, I know I've taken several exams here. There is no honor code. <laughs> <laughs> My I undergraduate d- had a strict honor code. Mm-hmm. So... so I'm looking at uh, at some exam booklets that are sitting up there. Mm-hmm. there. There is an honor statement at the front of them. It's just I never require people to sign them. Listen, <laughs> I don't even remember if I signed it or not taking your test. <laughs> I've, I can honestly say I don't think I've looked at those. I, uh, at, at least in graduate courses, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, by that point, I, I tend to think if a graduate student is cheating, they've got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But undergraduates, I, I, uh, I, I do monitor it and I do make a big sort of song and dance about, mm-hmm. about the honor code of my class as I started, but I haven't taught undergrads in a long while. So, okay. <laughs> so how about like in work and professional programs you see, or, you know, in professional careers, you see a lot of cheating going on within businesses, people stealing, um, from people they work for, or even, you know, you go stock market, people being dishonest about information um, that they know. So how how could a, I guess, a firm kind of integrate this into their their mission statement or into just some kind of employee? Right. <laughs> a code of conduct. A code of conduct, for, yeah. yeah, for their employees. Well, so that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I, I think there are a few different things you could do. Uh, one, having having an upfront honor statement or honor code that you commit to as you join a company is probably somewhat useful. But at, at the same time, you're not facing the same decision of, do I want to go to this school or that school? Right. You're facing a decision typically of, of, do I want to take this job and earn the amount of money they're paying me or take some other job? And, and oftentimes it's the money motivating you at that point. Mm-hmm. In which case, that honor code, it may be an afterthought for some of those employees, right? right? But having them read it, having them sign it, they're at least aware of what you're expecting. I, I think much more important is how do you set things up day to day so they feel like it's a good idea and they feel like it's a good thing to live by that honor code. And that, that probably takes some first prioritizing what sorts of things we really want to make sure they're honest about. Mm-hmm. And, and secondly, some, some real sort of engineering of the decisions and, and how 
visible those decisions are. Right. I, I don't know if you uh, remember, there was a study a while back. It, I don't know if you, I'd even call it a study. Is is I mean, there's a guy <laughs> <laughs> in D.C. who essentially uh, went around and he he delivers pastries to uh, to different businesses. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he experimented with a couple different modes of getting people to pay for his pastries, right? He'd set them out, and he'd, he'd have a basket there asking them to put a certain amount in mm-hmm. if they took them. Or, or else he'd try something that was much more transactional where you had to pay in order to get, right? Mm-hmm. But what he found is, is having this more honor-based system oftentimes ended up generating much more revenue, in the end, because people felt like they really should pay him, right? I I did hear about something similar to that. Um, I think it was so in Tam. I'm from Tampa, Florida, and yeah. one of the local Panera Breads did a um, a donation day where instead everything was free that you order like from the pastry bar, and it was all donations or when it was all honored. Give what you want. So it's a little bit yeah. similar, but they they made more in revenue <laughs> than. Than they they do on a typical day. So with yeah with the prices, yeah, it's a, often cases like that where people feel like they're being trusted. Mm-hmm. They're much more willing to be trustworthy, and there's there's a fair amount of of work behind that idea. That the whole the simple fact that you feel like somebody's looking over your shoulder because they don't think you're trustworthy right. makes you less likely to be trustworthy. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like a. Uh, tit for tat in a way <laughs> you're giving back the trust that you were given yeah yeah that's yeah you're rest uh reciprocating, reciprocating right yeah. yeah exactly so i read an interesting study mm-hmm. about um honor codes and what what they did was they took a bunch of people right and they had them sign an honor code and then perform a task on which they could cheat or not cheat not that they explicitly said this but they found that the people who cheated were less likely to remember the moral or um, moral code that they signed than the people who didn't cheat, even when they were paid to remember the rules. So the incentive of like earning money to remember the rules wasn't enough when they cheated, even though that's the primary reason. So, so in other words, you you yeah. you cheat. You essentially intentionally try and block out these, uh, you know, the the rules that you are breaking. Yeah, even if you're paid to remember the rules, you're essentially reframing your what what you're looking at and what you're experiencing to favor your own actions. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, so, the other side of this trade-off, though, of having people sign honor codes. I mean, there's. There's got to be a point at which, you know, you have diminishing returns, right? Mm-hmm. You can't like be signing like, yeah. statements every few minutes every day right. about like, what you're going to and not doing, yeah. right? Yeah, like they did at the academy. <laughs> they had you do it every single time, and you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it, And, there, you know, there are a whole bunch of studies that, that uh, demonstrate actually our, our willingness to be honest mm-hmm. sort of breaks down over the course of the day. Believe it or not. Okay, it's like a self-control. So is there a peak honesty time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so our, we have some friends over in Johnson mm-hmm. School here who have done some studies along these lines. And, and essentially, they, they didn't do the study with enough frequency that you could tell mm-hmm. this is the time of day when people are most honest, so much as you find that 
you know, later on in the day, people are more likely to cheat. And they, they used a very simple task, um, you know, a, a game that people were playing to, to sort of detect this um, in a laboratory. But, but yeah, the, the later in the day, the more frequently people would cheat and, and come up with these results that were clearly fabricated, right? Mm -hmm. Now, is there a peak time of day? Well, some of the, the more recent research, and I don't, I don't think it's quite published yet, um, but they're, they're actually differentiating between people and find, you know, there's some morning people right. and some evening people, and they cheat at different times of the day. Right. So it's kind of when you're at your, your peak performance in general or and, and there's also some research on expending self-control throughout yeah. the day. And yeah. as you, you know, you start out with this level of self-control, I guess, unless you're not a morning person and that becomes more diminished as you have to put your attention towards different tasks and maybe you know, restrict yourself from that piece of cake, different things that you do throughout the day can make you more easily tempted to do dishonorable things later. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's actually a pretty good point. Mm -hmm. so we've run a study here where we, we essentially got people in the morning mm -hmm. to commit to what they were planning to have for lunch. And comparing to people who hadn't committed, these these people were actually living out their commitments, right? They're, on average, they were they were pretty close to what they were saying. The defecting, yeah, a few of them were, mm -hmm. but uh, but they weren't uh, they weren't going wild, and most of them were following those commitments. But what does that say? If your ability to follow that plan diminishes throughout the day, well, if we were asking them about lunch, it might have worked. Maybe if we had asked them about dinner, we would have had problems, right? right? Maybe it's a little bit harder to, to stick to that diet when dinner comes around or when like after dinner comes around. <laughs> or, you know, I even think about it in the afternoon. Sometimes you get a little sleepier. And um, when we're tired, our decisions tend to be less monitored by our, you know, less in check by yeah. our, by the, you know, inner self. <laughs> More automatic behavior. I know I read a little bit about automatic behavior and how that kind of is is more enhanced when you're when you're sleepy and ah. so because you're kind of you, your your system is down so you're kind of just you know and, and that's not to say that in the afternoon your system is running at a, a a entirely lower level of what it normally does but maybe it's a little bit lower than how how you go a little more right, on autopilot right you tend to you think a little bit less about directly what you're doing, and mm -hmm. maybe it just becomes a little bit easier to to cheat on your diet or on your test. Or maybe you're not <laughs> even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or steal the pen from the office. Or, or that. <laughs> and I think cheating too has a lot to do with um, context and wh who's watching you. Uh, I know in some of Dan Ariely's other papers, they talked about where they had someone watching or they had someone report or they had to self-report. And Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a whole bunch of different behaviors that, you know, really do depend very heavily on, on who you think is watching you mm -hmm. and, and what you think they want you to do, what they think is the right thing to do. Um, the, some of the, the most famous of these are, are what you might call dictator experiments, right? right? Have, you, have you heard of dictator game? Yes. A simple game where um, there are two players in the game. One of them is given money and, say, and, and told, allocate this between the two of you. And that's the end of the game. <laughs> right? I mean, if, if you're not the dictator, this is a, a pretty bad game from your point of view. Um, but 
when when people started running these experiments in economics, they found most people would try and divide this fairly evenly, mm-hmm. right? Except it wasn't the economists. Yeah, it wasn't everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly wasn't the economists. The economists are or famously selfish. <laughs> <laughs> so even like thirty percent or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but that, no matter what, they would yeah. give them something. But mm-hmm. the mode was split it fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. Right, so so more often than than other possible outcomes, split it fifty fifty, and that's from the point of view of an economist, that's bizarre, right? Right, especially when people are being matched up sort of randomly. But then other people came back and started rerunning these experiments. First off, making it so you couldn't be seen by the person you're playing the dictator game mm-hmm. with, and secondly, making it so you couldn't be seen by the person you're playing with, and you couldn't be seen by the experimenter, right. right? And, you know, the data is still being recorded, but but they couldn't tell who did what. And suddenly, people started behaving a little bit more like what economists thought they should. It wasn't perfect. Right. It wasn't like, okay, I'll take everything, and everybody took, took the 100%. But at least it seemed to behave a little bit more like what you might think as an economist is going to happen. I think that has a lot to do with um, how visual we are as people and... When you're not seeing the person in front of you, it becomes less impersonal, less real, and and more anonymous. And so, so, so having maybe not having uh, you know Big Brother looking over your shoulder, right. but having anyway. having colleagues there that are friendly with you, and and maybe they're not specifically watching for it, but just having them there is right. something like having an honor code. And this kind of reminds me, I'm going to quote Adam Smith here. (laughs) (laughs) We we like to see ourselves as lovely and we want other people to think of us as lovely as well. So I think that has a lot to do with how we care so much about how other people see us. Not many economists can cite that Adam Smith quote off the top of their head. Big fan. <laughs> very good. Wasn't there it, also a variation of that game where they included a mirror in the room? Oh. Well, there, there have been a whole bunch of different variations. So the mirror I've heard of. And like didn't, I feel like they included a mirror in some and in others they included pictures of eyes. I may be making that one up, but I, I feel like it happened. I, I've heard of something along those lines. The others that I've heard of that are really interesting is where they, they, they show you pictures of the supposed person you're paired with, and these mm-hmm. are psychologists, so mm-hmm. they can lie to you. Yeah, <laughs> and they will. <laughs> and they will. And, and they they found a real big impact, first off on gender, but second off on uh, on perceived beauty. Yes, attractiveness, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So there, there are a whole bunch of different things you can do that, but but you're right, those pair of eyes, the right? Morality That's... varies <laughs> <laughs> on looks. <laughs> Another, I kind of wanted to segue this, and there's a fun game. There's like a, a British reality like show. Golden Balls. Yes, Golden yes. Balls. You can either share or steal. If you both. Why don't we say it like you and me are doing? Okay, so Liz and I are sharing or we're stealing. If <laughs> <laughs> So if both Liz and I decide to share, then we split a million dollars, half and half. If I decide to steal. And I share. And Liz shares, then I get. All one million dollars. So you get the whole thing. I get the whole thing, and okay. I get a lot of her feelings and nothing else. That's that's it. bad. Yeah, Sad. she gets her face <laughs> on TV. <laughs> yeah, and then if Liz and I both decide to steal, then we both get nothing. It's a trust game, at the basis, or and you're trying to anticipate what the other person is going to do, and you're looking at them straight in the face. So, so this this is a 
this is a television game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And literally, they just play the prisoner's dilemma over and over. Exactly. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> and there was this really funny episode, and and I had seen this on YouTube, and it was this one guy. He was saying, "I don't trust you." To the the person across from, "I don't trust you at all. I'm gonna take no matter what you do. I'm gonna take." And he was like, "Wait, let me, like he's like, I promise, I won't take. I won't take. I won't. You know, I won't take the money." And he the goes, first guy saying. I'm going to take, take, if you hit share, if, then I'll split it with then you. Then I'll split it, exactly. Right. Yeah, you've seen this too. I've seen this one, yeah. We it's watched it in good. economics class. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 was he trustworthy or not? <laughs> so, in the end, spoiler alert, the one guy decided to follow, you know, what he said and shared, and then in the end, he they both shared. So okay. the, the guy who had tricked he's, him, and so they both got 50-50. So... Which was pretty pretty great because he could have taken it and then walked away and said, I, I lied to you. But <laughs> So do they play ordered? Are they able to see what the other person is? I mean, is there one of them who can see what the other did at some at point? At the end, they show both of the results. Okay. Right. right. But you can't, like... It's not a reiterated game. Okay. It, it's just one time you either... You steal or you share. Okay. And pure prisoner's dilemma. Pure prisoner's dilemma. And when we say prisoner's dilemma, that's a classic um, for all you listeners out there who aren't <laughs> sure what that is. It's a classic game in economics where we talk, or I guess not even economics, and um, social it, science. It's yeah. All of social science. So, it social, seems like. yeah, yeah. So exactly. Right. <laughs> and the idea is there's two prisoners, and it's the same scenario. They can share or they can steal. They can, if they keep, except in this case, sharing information to the police is, you know, ratting the other guy out. So that's the take. Um, but if they decide to keep their mouth shut, then they both get... They get away with They the get crime. away with the crime. And maybe they'll each get two years in prison versus... So the, the dynamics is if maybe they'll, you know, if they keep their mouth shut, they'll get two years in prison. And if one of them decides to share information and rat the other guy out, then he gets to walk away zero years in prison. The other guy gets 10 years. It's like the police offer a deal to whoever defects right. first. Exactly. That's correct. But if they both talk then they get like five years in prison. So, so they, yeah, it's a common common game. One one that economists predict should always end in everybody defects. Right. Right. Everybody everybody rats or, or in, them out. In takes. the case of this game, everybody takes. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's it's not actually what happens when right. we play it, right? Because people do trust each other. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing is to play this game with both economists and other like nicer people <laughs> in a way I, no that's right I, I took a wonderful course a non-economist course as an undergraduate and uh we were put in this team of like 12 people and we were set up in, in this prisoner's dilemma where you know anybody defects if everybody else doesn't defect that person's get us gonna get a certain number of points on their grades mm -hmm. and the other people will get penalized right uh. versus you can collude and everybody will get this other and of course i was the only economist in the room were you also um, the only yeah. one who defected i was the only one who got points yeah. <laughs> everybody hated you they did but i, I taught them a lesson <laughs> we did and that they exact you same lesson thing too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm still talking about it he was it. the winner <laughs> reflecting back you know in our daily lives 
people are more likely to share than they are to steal, I would say. Do you guys agree? It depends who you ask, I think. I think it would also depend on where you are. Definitely, and, yeah. Right? I mean, What it, the stakes are. Culturally, there are, are different areas of the world, and I'd mm-hmm. say probably different areas of the country, where where there are these strong norms that everybody's going to follow and other mm-hmm. places where... Yeah, yeah they've done the, prison, the dictator game in several different countries and the outcomes are... They, they, they differ. That's right. So, which is pretty interesting. That's right. So maybe we should put some literature up on the on the site for, for, <laughs> for um, additional readings if anyone's interested. Additional reading, yeah. fact-checking, whatever we said. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll put the YouTube clip to Golden Balls. It's pretty great. So next time uh, you share a steal, just, you know, think very carefully about the situation, about the person in front of you or not in front of you. <laughs> keep, keep your honor codes. <laughs> keep your honor codes. If you're interested in more reading about honor codes and economics, you can check out Dan Ariely's book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And very good read. yeah, very good read. And as always, thank you, Liam Wicks-Doe, for being the producer of this show, and we'll see you next time. 